0: that's where we're headed uh this morning we're we're dealing with uh, the miracles of of jesus and and here's where we are in the life of christ we are now into the last week of the life of jesus Um, on sunday jesus would have uh had the triumphal entry we know that as palm sunday where we celebrate that um that would have happened on sunday on monday we're going to have the story that we are looking at this morning the fig tree cursed um and then at that point, then afterwards, and Jesus goes into the temple and throws out the money changers. And then on Tuesday, they, the, the disciples acknowledge the fact that now that tree that he cursed the day before is now dead. And so that's the story that we're looking at this morning uh, with regard to the miracles. It's a very unique miracle because a, as you get closer to the time of the crucifixion, the miracles take on a different meaning, and there's a different focus. And this miracle... People really struggle with this one, and here's why. It is the only miracle in all of the miracles of Jesus that is destructive, in which Jesus destroys something. Some people say, well, you know, the miracle where he cast the the demons into the swine. If you'll remember, Jesus allowed the demons to go into the swine, but Jesus didn't run the swine into the water. The demons did that. So even in that miracle, it was really the demons that destroyed the pigs, not Jesus. But in this miracle, it's very, very specific. Jesus curses this tree, and it is deader than a doornail within 24 hours. And and so people struggle with that because it's like, wait a minute. If he had the power to destroy it, he had the power to heal it and and, and fix it. And so some people have struggled with this one, but we're going to talk about why it was so important for Jesus to do that as we look through the passage. So with that in mind, um, here we go. We are in uh, the Gospel of Mark. Again, mainly, re- Mark's a nice place to stay for the, um, for the miracles because Mark hits it right to the point and, and, and gets it quick and moves on. So Mark chapter 11, uh, here we are. I'm going to break it down. We'll do it section by section. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, uh, let's talk about it and and, and understand it. It, There's a couple things in a passage that are important. It says, um, Jesus was hungry, and I think that's in there for a reason. Okay, And it says that seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. I think this is important. Jesus sees a tree off to the side, a fig tree, and it has leaves on it. But Jesus doesn't make a judgment from here. Jesus goes up close and examines it. Now, fig trees at this time were season for figs was about nine months. Okay, What happens is, typically as I understand figs in this time and in the Bible time, what would happen is... A little bud would appear at which was going to turn into a fig. Then it had leaves, and then you have the figs. Some people, as I understand it, again, you know, some of this, you're going by what other people say, but some people would eat the little pre-fig. My analogy would be this. Uh, Some of you, like me, enjoy green apples before they're ripe. They're sour as all get out, but I like them that way. I think once they turn non-sour, they're not as good. So I like sour apples. You can't eat a lot of them, but you know I, I like those tart, knock-you-down knock you kind of sour apple thing. Some people would eat, I guess, these little figs before they turn into figs, these little pre-things. and I don't, I don't know if that's what Jesus had in mind, It says he's hungry for a reason. So Jesus is going there expecting something. When he gets there, all he sees is leaves. He doesn't see buds. He doesn't see prefigs. He doesn't see anything. And at that point, Jesus does something that he's never done up until this point. He says, this tree's dead. No one is ever going to eat from you again. And he says it so the disciples can hear it. Um, So, you know, it's kind of, I think it's kind of, Interesting, Jesus is talking to a tree, but he's really talking to the disciples and and making sure they understand what he did. So that's the story. Now, notice what happens next, because the story plays into the next story, and then it comes back to the story. So it's like this fig tree thing is a big parenthesis around what happens in the middle. Here's what happens in the middle. Notice, it goes on. Uh, Verse 15 says this, On reaching Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. All right, here's the story. Jesus walks in, and he starts overturning. He sees what they're doing in the temple area, and he starts overturning tables. Now, here's what you need to understand. This is not the the first time this has happened. In John chapter 2, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he walks into the temple. He makes a scourge, a a, a little whip, and drives the people out and says, basically, you're not going to do this in my father's house. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he does the same thing. Only this time, he overturns tables. What, what you have to understand is that what these people had done, again, we're at Passover. What What these people had done is, um, let's say you you've got you've got you're, you're uh, let's say I'm I'm a Jew and I'm getting ready to sacrifice for Passover. So I've raised a little lamb, and I've got a lamb, and I've watched it, and I've made sure it's without spot and without blemish. So I take my little lamb up to the temple gate, and there's somebody standing there who goes, and you are? And I go, I'm Jim Thomas, and I'm here for the Thomas family, and I've got my, my lamb right here, and I want to offer my lamb. And the guy goes, not good enough. I go, what do you mean not good enough? This is the best, this is the best lamb we've got. I've watched it. It meets all of the qualifications. No, 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 it's not good enough. Well, what am I going to do? I've come all this way. I don't know. Go sell somebody else. No, I, I, I need a sacrifice. It's Passover. Well, i I tell you what. See that guy over in the corner over there? He's selling sheep. Maybe you can go buy one from him. And so I would go over now and have to buy one from him, and he made the money off of it. And most likely, you know what happened? The sheep that I had brought... And sold to George over here. George walked around the other backside of the temple. And sold it to Fred. And then Fred would be selling them as good ones. It was a racket. It was a racket. I also had to pay a a, a temple tax. And that had to be paid with the Jewish shekel. And let's say I've got Roman money. Or I've got Greek money. And I come in and go hey look I want to pay it. And and here's a little more. Oh no 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 it's got to be a shekel. It has to be the shekel. Well. I need to convert my money. Oh, hey, we've got a conversion place right over there. It became a racket. And Jesus walks in, and he sees this going on in his father's house. People are coming to worship. People are coming to pray. People are coming to petition God not to be taken advantage of. And Jesus looks at this for the second time and says, this is not what this thing is about. Now, think about this for a second. If you're a Jewish leader, you're a religious leader of the day. You're, a, you're, a, you're, you're one of the Pharisees or one of the Sadducees or one of the scribes. <coughs> and you're looking, you've got this thing all set up so that you guys are making some serious money. <coughs> On Sunday, you hear that there was a great big parade for a guy by the name of Jesus. And they were calling him the new king. So Rome's getting a little nervous. Because... There's no king but Caesar. The Jewish people are going, look, there's a lot of people that are listening to this guy. He goes in and starts throwing over the tables. He goes, you know what, you are not doing this in my father's house. And now they're losing money. And people are starting to listen to him. Because as he's doing this, he's talking. And notice what it says. It says the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. They're going, finally, somebody who's standing up for us they got to get rid of this guy and they got to get rid of this guy fast that's why you watch this happen on sunday the the is the palm sunday you have monday this happening he's on a cross by the end of the week because they fast-tracked this because this was their big money-making thing and and jesus just said it's not going to be that way um um, quick little rabbit trail because I just like taking them um, I think in our culture we have started to market Christianity and I think we have started to make it about money and I think we have started to make it about getting more money and not about ministry and I think it's a dangerous place for christian churches and organizations and ministries to go where it's all about money and how much money can i get and one of the reasons we do money the way we do here is because i believe when the bible says you give purposefully that means that you think about it when the bible says that you don't give out of pressure or guilt i believe that means that you don't get guilted into giving so we have the box, actually, actually, I should probably say this now, we have the box back there, but we actually have a little slot on the wall, and now everything in the box goes into the slot, because the slot's a safe down thing, so, so if you can remember, put it in a slot, don't put it in a box, but anyway, um, that's another rabbit trail off a rabbit trail, but <laughs> here we go, <laughs> somebody said, you know, somebody, I, we actually have people who come here, and they, they come for like four weeks, and they go, where do you give here, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we should probably put a sign up that says this is the, the, this is the slot. It's not a mail slot. I don't know. Anyway, here we go. Here's the thing. I, I think what's happened is, how many times have you talked to somebody, invited them to church, and what do they tell you? The only reason you want me to come is for my money. It's sad when Christianity and church is now associated with we want your money. And we've just decided that, you know what? We're not going down that road. And we believe God's people support God's work. We believe that if God's laid it on your heart, you will give. We ask you to, we believe that we should live by faith as a ministry, as an individual, and we believe that we should do the same thing as a church. And so we don't say anything about it. and We don't say anything about it for this very reason. Jesus walked in and said, it's about ministry. It's not about money. It's not about taking advantage of people. It's not about abusing people. It's not about people feeling guilty because um, they didn't bring the right sacrifice. Or they brought the right sacrifice, and you took advantage of them by saying it wasn't the right sacrifice. And Jesus walks in, and he sees this thing, and he goes, look, this is not what this thing is about. And, and I, I can't stress it enough. I think it's so important that we understand that, you know what? It's not about the money thing. And and it is so important that we get this across. That this is to be a place of worship. This is to be a place of fellowship. This is to be a place of prayer. This is to be a place of encouragement. This is not to be a place that it's all about money. And from time to time, we'll have missionaries or organizations, and we'll throw a basket out there, but it's not about the money. It's about ministry. And that is so important because Jesus is trying to get this cross. This is one of the last big messages that he has to the the group is because now he's on Tuesday, he's going to go back. Wednesday is going to be a quiet day. Thursday is going to be Passover or or it's going to be the last supper and Gethsemane and all that. So this is one of the last big things Jesus does. And it's an important thing because he wants to say, he started his ministry saying, look, You've gotten off track. This is not what it's about. And he ends his ministry by saying, you've gotten off track. This is not what it's about. And then he goes on. Notice the next passage, um, verse 19. Uh, When evening came, they went out of the city. And in the morning, they went along, and they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And then Jesus starts this long discourse. And here's what he says. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says, it will happen. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe and you have received it, it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sin. And we talked about this at Sunday school a little bit this morning, um, this idea of forgiveness. I want to focus on the first part of this thing. Um, where it says as they went along they saw the fig tree withered from the roots Um, think about it for a minute many of you have done you've cut trees on your property or you've cut a limb or whatever else and you throw it into a pile how long does it stay green week or so this is a tree that jesus says you're not going to produce any more fruit you're done the next day, this thing dried up and dead. From the roots, from the roots. This this is a miracle in which the, the disciples even realize, whoa, 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 nothing dies that fast. No, 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 no. When Jesus curses it, Jesus curses it. And when Jesus makes this statement, this is a bold thing for Jesus to do, and these guys acknowledge it right away. It's whoa, 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 whoa. And, 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 and it makes a statement. Now, um, let me take another rabbit trail just for a second. Some of you have been Christians like 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever. You like digging in all of these really cool, unique Bible kind of things. When John the Baptist ministry starts, one of the things it says about John the Baptist is that John the Baptist took an ax to the root of a tree. Jesus here destroys the tree. Throughout history, the fig tree has always been symbolic of Israel. And many people believe that what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's basically saying, John the Baptist started, in essence, attacking the Judaic system that they had set up. And he started, in fact, they had to get rid of John. They beheaded him because it was he was such a threat. Jesus comes along and basically destroys the tree, and in essence is saying this, the system that you have set up, is done because after the cross a new group is going to emerge known as christianity which is going to be jews and greeks which is going to be everyone in christ and he starts something very very unique and very very different what a lot of people believe is that this whole fig tree thing is jesus being very symbolic about what he is doing with israel That the system they had set up was so far off base from what God originally intended that Jesus is saying, look, it's done. But what I want to focus on is the rest of it. Notice what Jesus says. He then starts into this discourse about faith. Think about it for a minute. This is one of the last discourses Jesus is going to have with his disciples because in three or four days he's going to be on a cross. So one of the last things that he says to them before the cross, I mean, other than the, than the, the, the um, what do you call it? Not Passover, but um, what? Yeah, the Lord's Supper. Um, thank you. Get ahead of myself. It's a little scary. Uh, okay, what, this is one of the last things that he says, one of the last lessons that he has, other than praying in the garden and all that. But notice what he says. Have faith in God. I will tell you the truth. Anyone says this mountain, Go throw yourselves into the sea and does not doubt his heart, but believes what he says will happen. It'll be done for him. Um, there's two ideas here. Um, I, I'll give you both. As Jesus speaks this, you need to understand um, the mountain um, uh, stands right there, outside of Jerusalem. So some people believe that, literally, as Jesus is speaking this, he's pointing to the mountain, and the Dead Sea's not too far away. Uh, he's pointing to the mountain, and it's the idea of you could say to this, it, it, we, we tend to think of it literally but it's more of a hyperbole kind of thing it's like this if I said today I'm so hungry this afternoon I could eat a horse and somebody wrote that down and 2,000 years from now somebody's trying to interpret what I said it's like Pastor Jim loved horses you know it's like no, 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 no. we understand that it's just a phrase and it really means you were really, really, really hungry the idea of moving a mountain with faith Meant that you could do the impossible. You could accomplish impossible things because that's what Jesus was going to ask of these guys. He's going to go to the cross. And he's going to leave these guys alone, and he's going to say, "Look, guys, you can do the impossible." There's another idea that I found this week that just fascinates me to no end, and I really would love this one to be true. So this is the one I want to hang on to. There was a Jewish phrase at the time, and here's 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 the way it was said. It's horrible English, but. Um, it makes sense if you understand it. There was a phrase at the time called rooter up of mountains. If a rabbi or a teacher was a great teacher, he was known as the as a rooter up of mountains. And that he could take incredibly complex things and bring a sense of wisdom and insight to them that the average person couldn't. And they looked at him because... The things that he said were so great and so profound and, and, and so inspirational. Um, a great example of this would be Solomon. You remember, they bring Solomon an insurmountable problem. Whose baby? And what does Solomon say? Well, let's just split it in half. Oh, you can't do that. Give it to her. Okay, you're the real mom. He's a rooter up of mountains. He takes a very complex problem and brings an incredibly realistic solution to it. And people walk away going, oh, the wisdom of Solomon is so great. Why? Because that's who he was. And some people believe that the idea here that Jesus is also talking about could be this idea that, look, guys, that's what you're going to do. If you follow me, if you put your faith and confidence in me, if you continue to walk beside me, guys, you're going to turn this world upside down. People are not going to be able to believe the things that you can accomplish. Because a five days from now, he's in a tomb. And these guys are really, really questioning whether or not they did the right thing in following him. And that's why I think it's so important that he says, whatever you ask for, you'll receive it. When you stand praying, if you have anything against it, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Because he knows that these disciples on Tuesday, by the time we get to Friday, are going to be really be struggling with forgiveness because of what they see the people do to Jesus. And he knows that if they don't get past this forgiveness thing, they're going to get stuck. And so one of the last things he says, look, work on the forgiveness thing, guys. Don't get hung up there. And he goes, and, he, and he, he says, your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Because, again, he talks about it's the idea of we forgive not because the other person deserves it. We forgive because we've been forgiven, as we learned in Sunday school this morning. Forgiven people forgive. And that's what we talked about. So that's the story. It, it really frames this idea of, of what was happening with the nation of Israel. And Jesus uses it as a teaching point for his disciples. A couple of takeaways. Here's, here's the two main takeaways. Here's the first one. One of the last things Jesus does before the cross is he judges. Notice how what he did. He saw the tree, he went up, he inspected it, and then he judged it and cursed it. Understand that God is a God of love. Understand that God loves you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God is love and God loves you. No question about it. That's what Easter is all about. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the empty tomb is all about. That's what his life as a sinless son of God was all about. Make no mistake about it, but also make no mistake about this. There's coming a day when on the other side of this life, there's a judgment. And God is going to inspect whether or not we're a genuine child of God. And on that day, God is not a God of love, but he is a God of judgment. It is not a day that we like to talk about. It is not a day that we like to uh, spend a lot of time on, but it is a reality. And one of the last things Jesus does, he judges, he inspects it. That's why I think it's so important. He didn't do this from a distance. He went up and he inspected it close up before he did anything. Listen to this passage in Revelation. Um, actually, there's two which talk about this event. Um, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small standing before the throne and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in a book. We call this the great white throne judgment. What happens is we believe that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that your name is forever written in the Lamb's book of life. Those people are not here. These are people who have rejected Christ. These are people who have, who have said no to God. These are people who have said, I don't want salvation, uh, maybe another time, but not now. And it says, all of those, small and great. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades were, gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he's done. Each person is looked at and said, did they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Was it, is this something they did? And notice what it says. Um, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. If Anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown in the lake of fire. He says, look, and by the way, this is an inspection. When when you look at the other passages, it, it means a very careful search was done. So it's not like anybody missed it by accident. It was very, very clear that you never had of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says at that moment, he is not a God of love, he is a God of judgment. And this is what he believed. Going on, listen to this passage uh, in the next chapter of Revelation. Um, You got the next one? There we go. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun nor moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. No day will its gates ever be shut, for there is no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever into it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or sealed, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He said there are two places one for people who've got their names written, and one for people who don't. One for people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and one for people who don't. And it's important that each of us understand just as Jesus comes to the end of his ministry and he judges this tree and he walks up close and he inspects it and he says, is there any fruit? Is there any possibility of fruit? Because if it's a fig tree, it ought to be having figs. And because it doesn't, I'm judging it. Let me make the analogy for us. Just because you profess to be a Christian doesn't mean you possess Christ. Let me say it again. Just because you profess to be a Christian does not mean you possess Christ. Um, and I think it's, I don't know if you follow military stuff. If you know me, I'm a military, I never served in the military, my boys do, and I'm a big I follow the military a lot. I have a lot of respect for any, anybody who's ever served. Um, and, and one of the big issues right now is um, the stolen valor thing. And I don't know if you follow this at all. When the stolen valor thing, here's what happens. Guys walk around, and they've never served. And what they do is, in order to impress people, they put on a uniform, and they order all the badges and the patches, and they wear it around, and they try to get people to... Honor them because they wear the uniform. And there's all kinds of websites that are devoted to these guys about this is how we know he's fake and phony because they don't know where to put the patches. Um, sometimes they put patches that contradict things. You know, they put that, that they're, they're, they're in the infantry but they're wearing a communications emblem and, you know, and, and they follow all this stuff. And then in some places, they actually go and confront these guys. And it's like they, they, they go on camera and they say, tell us when you served. And they let them rattle off all the things that they've done. And they said, well, you know what? We pulled your, your DD-214, and uh, sorry, hey, there's no DD-214 on you, which means you've never served. And then they blast them all over social media. Um, it, it's, it's something to see because, you know, there's nothing worse than, than doing something like that. But here's my issue. What if we had a stolen valor Christian thing? We walked around and said, I'm not saying we do this, but I'm saying we walked around and said, hey, look, you're calling yourself a Christian, but what about this, 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 this? How many of us would be able to say, you know what, there is fruit? Yes. Am I perfect? No. Have I got a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not doing right? You bet. But I'll tell you this much, since I put my faith and trust in Christ, I'm more loving than I was. I have more joy than I had before. I had more peace. I'm more patient. I'm long-suffering. I'm more gentle than I was before. Oh, I've got a long way to go. Believe me, I'm still pretty gruff on the edges, but there's a difference. I'm more long-suffering, gentle, goodness, meekness, of. There are things in my life that if you had to convict me of being a Christian, there's enough in my life to show where I was and where I am to go, you know what, there's some proof that this guy's real. That's why, that's why the Bible says if you're a Christian, there's fruit. You go, oh, PJ, you know what I mean? You, you don't understand how messed up I am or how, many, how often I failed. No, 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 no. It's never in the Bible about failure. It's about what you do with failure. Wrestle with Proverbs. Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. You believe that a righteous man should never fall. The Bible says just the opposite. No, no, no. We're going, to, we're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to drop the ball. It's what we do with it. Do we get back up and go, okay, Lord, you've got to help me here? Or do we just not change anything and revel in where we are? And, and, and what he says is, in this case, he went up to this tree and went, you know what? There's no fruit here. And there's no even even a, a, a trying for fruit here it's done that's what he was saying with israel look you're not even trying to produce fruit you've gotten so far from me you don't even care about the things that are important to me anymore and you just spent three years trying to get that through to the the, the, the group of israel of jewish jewish people there judgment Day's coming and i trust that you as a believer have put your faith and trust in christ and that your name is written in the book of life It's not about church membership. It's not about baptism. It's not about good works. It's not about what family you were born into. It's about the fact that your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ and him alone. That puts your name in the book of life. And the people who have their name there spend eternity with Christ. And the people who don't spend their eternity in the lake of fire apart from Christ. Okay? Judgment day comes. Second principle is this. This is more to believers. I like the idea of being a rooter up of mountains. So here's my question. Who are you going to impact this week? Because God is going to send a whole bunch of people into your path this week. And you're going to have the opportunity to encourage them, to help them, to challenge them, to put a perspective into their life that maybe they're not thinking of, you have an opportunity to move them. But if you make your life this week all about you, you'll miss it. These disciples were getting ready to go into a very difficult time, and Jesus was going to be hung on a cross and going to go into a tomb, and they're going to go through a lot of struggling, and they're going to struggle with forgiveness, and they're going to struggle with all these things. And Jesus said, to them, look, guys, you stick with me, you keep your faith focused on me, you'll move mountains. Anything is possible, but you got to stay focused on me, guys. And the challenge to us this week is the same. Satan's going to do everything he can this week to pull you away. Keep your eyes on Christ. I close with it this way. I close with the idea that Jesus reminds us the time of judgment is coming. And because someone professes Christ doesn't mean they possess him. But real Christians produce fruit, and we impact those around us.